Hello, and welcome to another episode of State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Stanziel. Chris, I hope you got to champagne and campaign a little bit, because we lost an hour because of daylight savings. But you know what we didn't lose, Chris? We didn't lose the Big East tournament. There was never a doubt, right, Eugene? Never never a doubt? I mean, it's not like I picked them to lose in the semifinals or anything to a team that lost in the quarterfinals, right? Right? It's not like I spent 20 hours putting together an extensive preview, only to see that one half of it was no longer valid after, like, day one. I mean, it was so, so typical, right? So typical. I mean, come on. Butler still hasn't won a game in an MSG. Amazing. I don't know what it was, but everything just sounded too good to be true for that 1-2 matchup in the finals. It did, but it didn't. I was like, come on. Butler was playing really good. I know they had just lost it to Seton Hall the week before, but I was like, they, they had the matchups against these teams. Like, they matched up against them pretty well, and I didn't think Xavier was going to do anything. I thought they were just going to roll over and die after they beat the Paul. Honestly, it was a really good tournament, and the Garden was sold out for the last two nights. Yeah, it was. I, I was shocked because I, I had uh, I had messaged you saying, oh, you should just go move your seat to <laughs> get closer. And you're like, no, it's packed. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden the guy over the PA is like, we are proud to announce the garden is sold out. And the number that they had didn't account for standing room after. Mm-hmm. So I think the number on the Jumbotron had like 19,800. Yeah. But in reality, there was over 20K in the garden. Yeah, that's nuts. That's more than the next usually draw. Uh, yeah, it definitely draws more than the Knicks. And who says no one cares about the quote-unquote new Big East? Right. The, I mean, the semifinals alone made made this tournament worthwhile. It, those games were just... They were the epitome of what the Big East is all about. Just talk, I hate to bring up cliches. The Big East way. <sighs> I don't want to do it, but it was your typical grind-it-out... You know, no one shoot well, get down and dirty, and, you know, make, like, one more play than the other team. There, there it is. Josh Hart crashing the boards against Seton Hall. I mean, you don't see games end like that, like, anywhere else. Before we get to the end of the tournament, let's just run through each of the three Nova games. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about St. John's a little bit. You give me your reaction. I'll give you my reaction, and then we'll move on. <laughs> It, too many games. Too many games to talk about. Right. Uh, St. John's game, I mean, do we really need to talk about this? They, they shot the lights out. St. John's stood no chance. But they'll be back. They're going to be a good team in like two to three years. I actually feel like they're going to get there. But just wasn't their night. Going over random right off the court. Yeah, St. John's got that exciting win against Georgetown, mm-hmm. which might be the dagger in the John Thompson era. Yeah, and it was very typical of the way they of Georgetown lost too. They come into Nova. St. John's, very young team. They only have one senior on the roster. I mean, their star players are freshmen. They're going to be very good down the line. There are rumors, though, of Marcus Lovette potentially leaving for the NBA, which I think is just questionable. Oh, my God. That's like Samaj Christian leaving. Like, that, that's this actually might be worse. It's like Dominic Cheek leaving, except what well, he well. did helped the team. <laughs> he wasn't good, though. <laughs> exactly. He helped by leaving the team. <laughs> But Marcus Lavette, this is a loaded draft class. And if he leaves, I'm going to be very disappointed because I think St. John's will be very good, if not next year, in two years, when Pons and Lavette mature. I mean, right now they're already dropping 17 points per game as freshmen, but they just ran into experience. It was like running into a brick wall. They just got, th- there was just nothing they could do. Nova was shooting over 70%. You hang triple digits on an opposing team in the postseason. Like, everyone was just having a field day. There was really not much to be said other than that was a great way to warm up for the tournament. Mm-hmm. I, I wish they could have, like, banked some points for the next game because, as we all know, once Villanova shoots 60% one day, they'll shoot 20% the next. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a little too good to be true. Mm-hmm. But before we get into the semifinals, oh. I just wanted to share that this was my first time as a fan in the stands in, since my sophomore year, three years. And also, this was the first Big East tournament that I went to as a non-media member. The last two I covered in press row. This time around, I was in the stands. And let me tell you something, Chris. It's a completely different experience. Uh, would you care to elaborate for that? And you were, and you're talking about from the semifinals on, right? You weren't there for the quarter. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't yeah. there for the. I couldn't play hooky. There was oh. just no way. Right. right. I, I, th- I didn't think so. So yeah, and, explain. And besides, when I hopped on the live stream in the office, it was over. The game was over. Yeah, yeah, the game was over. It was. 
It was over from Tim. First of all, my day as a fan. Before the Seton Hall game, I'm driving home from work, and I'm getting ready to go to the garden as a fan. I'm, I'm excited. I'm pretty pumped. All of a sudden, a bunch of birds just come flying towards my way as I'm cruising down the street. One bird hits my windshield, and it makes a giant thud <laughs> and just collapses onto the pavement. I'm like, what in the world just happened? Thankfully, where I needed to park the car was 50 feet away. So I parked the car. And I look out onto the street and I see a dead bird. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh my God, this is a bad omen. I'm already cursed. I'm about to go in with bad karma. Villanova's going to lose against Seton Hall. I don't like Seton Hall. And I'm just going <laughs> to cry. <laughs> I come in to the garden. I'm there with my dad during the semifinals. And we sit up. And I'm cursed with sitting next to quote-unquote basketball fans who just never watched their eyes were not on the court until like the last three minutes of the game. It was the most frustrating thing in the world. Chris, that's, they, that's brutal. There were probably three or four people next to me. I heard more about their son's U12 AAU basketball team, their mother going to Sri Lanka, <laughs> someone going on vacation, a friend of theirs that's finishing law school. These people were chatting it up over chicken fingers and French fries. They did not look at the basketball court for a majority of the game. And I'm sitting there thinking, you just paid $70 or however much. <laughs> For your ticket, and you're just going to serenade everyone around you with how your son's middle school AAU team is going. So I'm, I'm there dying. I'm surrounded by Seton Hall fans. There's some Creighton fans around me waiting for the next semifinal game. There are a few Nova fans in front of me, and it was, how do you say, interesting, because that game was interesting. What did you think about that Seton Hall game? Well, I hinted at it two minutes ago, saying I, I, I had a feeling they were going to come out shooting like crap. I didn't think they were going to be that bad. They were real bad. Yeah, they played bad, and you don't want to see them play bad, but I'm happy they won the way they did. Because if they're going to do this in the tournament, at least it shows they can be a solid team playing the shooting like duty. Like If this was our sophomore year team shooting like that, they would have lost by 30. The fact that they were able to win and claw out a victory, it makes me happy, but at the same time, it, makes, it brings you down to earth a little bit and realize, you know, this team is still susceptible to a bad shooting night. And just one game in March against a team like Seton Hall, they might be in some trouble. As we know, Villanova blew out Seton Hall twice in the regular season. Well, yeah, you had that too. Like you, you, you wanted to blow them out. You thought they were going to blow them out. But it's that playing a team three times in a year thing. It, I think it gets them, some teams mentally. I don't know. You may have thought that they were going to blow them out. I was sitting there thinking, like, please don't tell me that the bird is going to bring bad karma into the <laughs> garden. I'm already being cursed by sitting next to these fans just drowning out everything with their chatter. I don't know why they couldn't go to a bar and just talk about their lives there. But right from the very beginning, turnovers, missed free throws, bricked shots, poor oh, shot selection. Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is this is what I get. This is, this is what I get. And second half, they, they come rumbling right back. Right. That play at the end, that play alone, Chris, Yes. was beauty. Because just a few possessions before Josh Hart had that put-back layup for the end one that proved to be the decisive go-ahead basket, he had a chance to tie the game or take the lead. Misses the front end of a one-and-one. One yeah. With less than a minute to go. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my God, that yeah. was it. That was the game. Yeah, you're right. And didn't Seton Hall get their and one right after that? Carrington off the offensive rebound, just flicks it up, and of course it goes right in. And I was like, oh, there's the Isaiah Whitehead moment. That's great. We're going to lose to Seton Hall in the Big East tournament again. Can't wait to lose a one seed because, you know, of stupidity. That's wonderful. But the play that Josh Hart makes, you, did, you had no idea he was going to go in and crash to those boards. You had no idea. You're looking at Chris Jenkins square up a three that you, we've seen him make in the past, maybe not so many times this year, but we've seen him make in the past. And he lays an absolute dud off the back rim, and it rolls, and Josh Hart knew he was going to overshoot it, knew he put a little bit too mustard on it. That was the words straight from his mouth. Cars between Angel Delgado, who was feasting all day, and throws it up. And it goes in for an and one. And then he makes the free throw on top of it. It was wonderful. You see these players make like long shots for game winners and all that. But you never see someone crashing the boards for an and one. And I think that just describes Josh Hart's career, his, his playing style. He just comes out of nowhere. He makes the small plays, the unexpected plays, and does it with grace and beauty and, and clutch. Clutch just doesn't begin to describe that play. You know, all the Nova fans were into a frenzy. I couldn't believe what just happened. 
We've been trailing for like the whole game. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he comes in like a condor, swoops in for the rebound, puts it back in, gets fouled, sinks it, sinks the free throw. Now Seton Hall's got nine seconds to answer right back. And I'm there, Chris. I'm petrified. I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there thinking, oh my God. It's Sterling Gibbs. Please don't give it. Yeah, please don't give it to Carrington for three or have Miles Powell shoot. But they go with the interesting decision to feed it to Delgado inside. I mean, the man was doing very well in the post, working very well in the low block. Goes for the layup on Eric Pascal, who you can tell it's not easy guarding Delgado. It seemed like everyone who was on him was just throttled. When he was posting up on them, they got pushed back easily. Mm Mm-hmm. Delgado goes for the layup, which he's done a bazillion times. It bounces around, caroms off the rim. He gets the offensive rebound. But one thing that should not go unforgotten in this game, one thing that not a lot of people have spoken about, is we talk about how good Hart's layup in and one was on the other end, but Dante DiVincenzo had the saving. It wasn't technically put in the statute as a block, but it looked like Delgado was ready to go right back for the putback to tie. But DiVincenzo was able to swat the ball out and into the hands of Hart, who threw it down the court, saving the game. Yeah, we were on the same page with that. We both picked up on that, and literally no one was talking about it. Like, not one mention of it, like, whatsoever. Like, all right, you had the the great defense by Jenkins and Pascal underneath, and then you had the ball ceremoniously ending up in Josh Hart's hands at the end of the game. But how did it end up there? Dante swatted it away. And I was like, oh, my God. Why is no one talking about this? This was, this was, that was a great defensive play. Delgado was going to go right back up for the two and make it, obviously, because that's what he does. But he also brought up a good point. You said interesting decision to go for two. I could have bet – I would have bet my life on Seton Hall going for the win there. And if I was Kevin Willard, I would have gone for the win there. I don't know why you didn't. You were – you obviously were in a tight battle with them. You were outplaying them. You were admittedly outplaying Villanova. But when games go to overtime, usually the better team wins. You very rarely see the underdog win in overtime. So I thought if they go for three, you have a chance to win. If you go for two and you miss, then it's over. At least you're going on swinging with the three. We were discussing this off-air a few days ago. You said that Seton Hall had made a three in the second half. Or they made – no, they made one. Carrington made that one. One, Powell had him made a three second half. He got made all of his in the first half, and he was red hot in the first half, and I thought they should have gone to him. But, yeah, I, I didn't understand the decision to go for two. I thought they really should have gone for three and really go for the win. I mean, you did it to Villanova before, three years ago. I feel like that was an interesting decision. I get it, the high percentage shot or whatever, but let's just say he, he got fouled. Yeah. Didn't even make The shot didn't even go in. You don't get the and one. Seton Hall is not a good free throw shooting team. In fact, in that game, they were shooting below 50%. Both teams were shooting poorly from the line. And that's another thing, too. I think Villanova was very lucky that they ran into a very bad free-throw shooting team. Yeah, they bailed us out big time. But Delgado, do you really want to put all your, like, eggs in one basket on Delgado making two free-throws? Like, it just didn't seem like the smartest play call. But I'm also not a coach, so I don't know. But it's something I just was very confused about. I thought that they could have gone with another look. But I get it. He's their best player. So you want to put the ball in your best player's hands. Right. He was making those shots all day. So, I mean, I guess I understand that in that regard. But it's like you, you could have put the dagger right through him. You had the chance. I didn't get it. DiVincenzo. I didn't know he made that play until they showed it on the Jumbotron seat. Because I saw Pascal. You saw Pascal, DiVincenzo, and Delgado. All three of them go up for the ball. And I thought it was just a natural, oh, the ball just tipped off of these three people trying to just get the rebound. And it just floated into Josh Hart's hands. (laughs) But that's not what happened. DiVincenzo came swooping in, knocks it free. Time expires. The buzzer goes off. Seen Hall fans wanted a foul, but didn't get one last year with Josh Hart, so they shouldn't be talking. (laughs) And... I'm just sitting there still trying to process what just happened. Yeah. There, I didn't think there was a foul there. Like, I, There was more of a foul last year than there was this year. I didn't think there was anything. And they're not going to call it unless it's egregious. They're not going to call it this point in the game. They didn't call it last year. They're not going to call it this year. And speaking of controversial calls, the big one I thought was was the travel on Delgado. And he clearly traveled, but there were a lot of people on social media. I don't know how it was at the arena. Well, there were a lot of people saying that it was not a travel. And even the announcers were like, Guys, it got, it, it, it's it's travel. He took like uh, one, one, two, seven steps before he made the shot. So I, I didn't understand that. I was on the far side and right. I saw that happen. And I was like, whoa, it looked like he changed his pivot foot and then took two steps on top of that. And every all the Seton Hall fans were sad. I was standing up clapping very loudly. Um, you know me, I'm kind of a troll when yeah. it comes to these <laughs> things. 
I thought it was a great call, just like the moving screen that was called on Seton Hall. Right. Not, I don't know if that was a few plays before or after, but I thought that was another obvious one too. Yeah, that was too, but people were mad about that because it was on Delgado and they're like, you can't call his fourth. I think it was his fourth. I think that was his fourth foul. They're like, oh, you can't call his fourth foul on a moving screen like that. Like you're going to take him out of the game because of that. Like, I, like they were all angry about that, but I don't know. It's Seton Hall. They, their basketball IQ is very, very low, very low. I, I was so happy at home. I was going nuts. I, I didn't expect it to be that type of game. And the way the game played out, it got you all riled up and back and forth. And you're like, come on, I want revenge for last year. You're like, please, please win this. And I wanted to go to the game the next day, obviously, because I had my father was hanging over his computer as the game was going on, just hitting refresh on tickets to make see the value of the price going up or down based on how Villanova is going. So it was just, it was a fun time here in the Sanziel household. Yeah, and I think it was a great, Another installment to a budding rivalry. I mean, I think it's already a rivalry. Some might not think that. What's oh, a rivalry? <laughs> this is becoming a rivalry in the Big East. Villanova finally put an end to Seton Hall streak. It was the only school going into the Big East tournament that had beaten Villanova in each of the three prior seasons since realignment. It looked like you know Villanova won both in the regular season, so we thought that was going to be it. But mm-hmm. lo and behold, Seton Hall beats Marquette, forced a third meeting. <laughs> Amazing finish to the, to the series this year. And let me tell you about some Seton Hall fans. <laughs> so the people who are next to me talking about their son's AAU basketball team in middle school, they didn't start caring about the game until like three minutes ago. And Seton Hall was up. They Now they're watching the game. And, you know, whenever something happens, they're looking at me and they're, you know, they're, you know, they're, 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 they're trying to make sure I can see that they're, that they're cheering or that they're happy for certain things. All right. And after that put back layup, I looked over at them and I just started clapping very loudly. And I said, that's why he's Biggie's player of the year. And after they're like, oh, he should have been fouled. Like Delgado should have been fouled. One of them went up to me and said, that was a, it was a real good game. And I said, oh, yeah, you know, you need a game like that. It's good to get the blood flowing, get everyone pumped up. <laughs> and then another Seton Hall fan went up to me from behind. And this is a cleaner version of what he basically said because he used some offensive language that we can't use on the show. He said, oh, Villanova got lucky that poorly. You can't even say that they were trying to toy with the Pirates. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, what, what are you trying to say? Are you saying that your team sucks? Like, what are you trying to say? <laughs> and he was about to turn around, and I said, hey. He turns around back, point at the ring finger. <laughs> just point at the <laughs> ring finger, nothing else. You just needed to remember. <laughs> Bang. That was nice. I, I hate Seton Hall fans. I'll give a credit to some of them because there were some brave ones. After that semifinal game, I don't know how they stayed there. If my team lost like that, I'd be gone. I would not stay for the second game of the doubleheader. There were a good amount of Seton Hall fans that stayed for the second game of the doubleheader. Yeah, that's pretty amazing that you you brought, you told me that, that they would stay around. I always kind of equated that to Championship Sunday with football. Like When the Packers lost this year and uh, two years ago, I had like no business watching the uh, AFC Championship. Like I did not want to even bother with that. So I, I, I guess props to them in that regard. Yeah, I, I entered the Garden in full intention to watch both games. Mm-hmm. But if it was a heartbreaking loss like that, I don't know if I could have stayed around for that second game. I think I would have been on the first train home. Uh, yeah, me too. So bad props of those Seton Hall fans who were cool, stayed, and weren't obnoxious. Right. And weren't talking about their son's middle school AAU basketball team when there was a major Big East tournament semifinal game being played. And also, on the flip side of the bracket, that Xavier Crane game was insane. That The last minute of that alone was just, wow. It was it was the icing on the cake. That semifinal day, that Friday night was just perfect. Yeah, that was a fun one. I didn't get to – I saw the highlights, so I'm only speaking off from what I saw with that. I didn't see it live. I was a little under the weather on Friday. I was able to get through the Villanova game, and that was pretty much it. But yeah, Marcus Foster hitting that clutch three and the Blue Jays to the finals. That was that was pretty nuts. I was shocked that Xavier beat Butler, and I was shocked that Xavier was in this game against Creighton. Yeah, it was. I could not believe what was going on. It was back and forth. You know, I even thought J.P. McCarroll's last shot was about to go in until it caromed off the rim. Yeah, it's so, so typical of him to take that stupid shot. They could have got a so much better shot with, like, blew it or something. I didn't understand that either. Yeah, he, yeah, he was You know, blew it was great. Makira, he was hot throughout the game, but I feel like if you want the game winning shot, you go with your guy. You go with Trayvon Blue. Go with the idiot guy who just packs up shots. He he 
he's so wild. It's it's ridiculous. It should have been in Blewett's hands and get that, but whatever. They got far farther than anyone expected him to be. So also the look that Blewett got was like what was that like thirty five feet away? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he true. was well behind the three point line. Yeah, he was he was t- he was beyond the NBA range, way beyond. So and also another thing, the man wears long sleeves and the compression pants. Too too much, too much, too much, too, too much, right. too much for a basketball player. You're not playing <laughs> football. It's not one. <laughs> right. So we go into the finals. Villanova, Creighton, Creighton holds a soft spot in our hearts. Heck, Jay Wright even refers to Greg McDermott as Doug. Like he, oh, he like he does it like all the time. I know. No, I know. I was there to witness that. He did that in person, but then I watched back a recording of the the game, like the TV broadcast, and at halftime. He was like, yeah, Doug does a great job with his guys over there. Or Doug Doug coaches his guys really tough. They have one of the best offenses, and no one corrected him until Gus Johnson did on the platform at the end of that game. But before we get to that, what did you think about the Blue Jays game? It, it had a very, very similar feel to the Xavier game two years ago for the Big East Championship. Both teams were six seeds. Both teams... You know we're we're good, but you, you they had flaws, and Creighton was very flawed, especially since Maurice Watson Jr. went down with the knee injury, and now he's in jail. So they they were flawed with that. They didn't have a point guard, and they played a thriller the night before in a game that you know I felt like was kind of like their championship. So all Villanova had to do really was show up and not play anything like they did against Seton Hall, and. They got off to a little bit of a slow start, but it was correctable. They found their way, and before you knew it, they were up, what, it was like 10, 15, like real quick, and it just kind of stayed that way. Creighton wasn't able to break through. They had a few chances. They made a few runs to get it to within 12, cutting it down from like 18, 20, and I felt like if Creighton could have hit like one big three, they could have really clawed their way back into it, but it just wasn't meant to be, and uh, Villanova took care of business relatively easily. It felt, honestly, it felt like a regular old regular season win i remember two years ago when they won the biggest tournament it was all everyone was hyped everyone was jumping up and down going nuts going crazy it was a great time this just dribble the ball out shake some hands and then celebrate at the end there was not none of that it was very they acted like they've been there before to me the fact that they didn't go all out like crazy celebrating for this shows that they have some bigger goals on their mind definitely side of a few smiles some hugs some laughter you know, Josh Hart said in the post-game presser, last time we stormed the court a little bit as a team. This time around, maybe it's because we're a little tired, but it just felt more like business. And also, I realized going into that game that me hitting the bird with my car was not a bad omen of the Scene Hall game. It was actually an omen of what was about to happen to the Blue Jays. <laughs> Steamrolled. <laughs> Josh Hart, Kyrie Thomas, defensive player of the year. What was he? Where was where was Kyrie Thomas? Non-existent. He just let Josh Hart put up twenty nine yeah. in the championship game. Yeah, a smooth twenty nine. He was in everything. His yeah. his three point yeah. shot was on point, and you know he's he's a good three point shooter, but he's not like light him up from three. And he was light him up the other night. Yeah, Villanova got onto that big lead going to the half. Jalen Brunson's euro step oh had Isaiah Zierden shaking. <sighs> Shaking oh. in his shoes, it got me jumping out of my seat. Oh, I was it was the greatest Eurostep I'd ever seen. Oh man! It, it, oh, easily by far. I, I had my brother like holding me back, like you know, like <laughs> those stupid like rap videos when they like hold each other back like that. Yeah, That's yeah. how I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, the oh, bench, my God. the bench, <laughs> the bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had a row of Creighton fans. Two two rows ahead of me were just all Creighton fans, and the row in front of me was just Villanova fans. But we'll get to them in a little bit. I'm not sure if they're exactly Villanova fans. Okay. All but right. but the Creighton fans, you know that look of defeat? Yes. yes. <laughs> they they just witnessed that before their own eyes. I, I was I was jumping up and down. I was screaming how Isaiah Zierden didn't even know where he was right now. <laughs> <laughs> and that Euro step, followed by the Kyrie Thomas breakaway dunk that was waved off. Mm-hmm. I felt like that summed it up for Creighton right there in the first half. It did. I thought they would come out with a little bit more fire to them. I don't. I feel like they were tired. I, I don't. I don't know what it was. They just seemed 
I mean, they were obviously interested, but I, I feel like they kind of like wrapped everything up and it is what it is. They're a better team. If we keep it close in the first half, maybe we'll make some noise in the second half, but I, it didn't feel like that at all. They, I wouldn't say they rolled over and died, but I just feel like they just weren't, they just didn't have the talent to compete. It was exactly like two years ago with Xavier. They were, they were an okay team, but they just, they, they couldn't do much more than, they couldn't beat them. It's just that plain and simple. I think they just accepted it. Unlike Xavier from two years ago, this Crane team was actually leading the Big East in points per game. I think they were averaging around 83.5 per game going into the Big East tournament. And Villanova's defensive effort was just fantastic. They forced 17 turnovers on a team that doesn't really turn the ball over much. Mm-hmm. And they converted those for easy points. And when they got off to that big lead in the second half, the game dragged. It felt like the game dragged a little bit when Villanova was on a cold streak. It did. But even when the shots weren't falling, their defense stayed really stiff. And they were they just held them off. They just held them off until the final buzzer went off. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the defense because that completely slipped my mind. Like, they they probably should have held Creighton to under 60, but I feel like garbage time kind of allowed for Creighton to put up some points at the end. And whenever you hold a team under 60, that's usually a good indicator that your defense is pretty good. And I felt like Jay coached a great game, and I think it's because of his substitutions. I don't know, maybe because it was I was there, I just noticed it more sitting behind the bench. But he kept like playing offense defense the entire game, and I think it was because Jenkins got two fouls early, so he kind of had to do that early in the first half. So I was like, all right, he's probably just doing that for first half, save Jenkins. But in the second half, he was doing the same thing. He was subbing everyone in and out, in and out. Every dead ball, it was it was like there was a sub, and he never he didn't keep a lineup in there. The entire time and I mean that's good and bad want bad because you don't have a chance to gel but I feel like they've played with each other so much already it doesn't really matter so that's why I liked it you're saving their legs as well keeping everyone fresh and I feel like Jay wanted to win this game on defense not so much offense and I feel like he felt that Josh was going to take over anyway so the offense was going to come it was just a matter of stopping him on the other end he had his fingerprints on that game right from the opening tip the man was just locked in right from the get-go was named the tournament mvp this is the second time josh hart has won the award he won it the last time villanova won his during his sophomore year in 2015 he becomes only the third person in biggie's history to have won the dave gavitt trophy for most outstanding player more than once joining the company of patrick ewing over at georgetown and louisville's Peyton Siva, who disappeared in the NBA, but he was fantastic in college. Yeah, he he was one of those big boys in college, and he was definitely a pain to play against. Those late 2000 teams for Louisville were really good, mainly because of him. Also, over the weekend, the big weekend Josh Hart had, he surpassed Ed Pinckney for the 10th spot on Villanova's all-time leading scorers list. Hart now has 1,891 points going to the tournament. 109 short of 2K. Do you think he gets it? Oh. 109. That's actually probably a loaded question. That's, that's yeah. I, I probably shouldn't ask that. that. That's implying certain things, actually. Yeah, you're implying a lot there. I think we should <laughs> save that for our uh, bracket, NCAA bracket talk. But, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, save, we'll, save, we'll save that. We'll table that one. I'm, I'm still digesting Selection Sunday. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. But I just want to talk about Josh Hart for the player of the year thing. I'm sure you saw it when we were there, but when Val Ackerman was like, and the player of the uh, player of the tournament for the big, for big East is, and like, as she's saying this, Dow Reynolds is making the funniest faces I have ever seen. He's like, he's like throwing up his shoulders, like with his hands up, like who, who, I wonder who, who's, who's going to win player, player of the tournament. And it was so funny. The way he went about that was hilarious. And that also brings, reminds me of the, at MSG, they had a, what was it called? Talking heads or whatever, whatever, or heads up. It was called heads up. And it's that game where you put like a flashcard above your head and it's like something you, you got to, your teammate gives you clues and you got to guess what it is. That was another funny segment. I didn't re- realize how funny Daryl Reynolds is. Oh, he's by far one of my favorite Wildcats to interview. The man keeps it real. He's a jokester. One thing from the heads up game, that heads up segment, I didn't realize how much of a hockey fan he was. You know, I know you mentioned 
earlier on the show that he had that Chicago Blackhawks jersey on yes. when he was at Kelly's. But then he was talking mm-hmm. about how badly he wanted a Rangers jersey while he was in New York. I had no idea he loved hockey that much. Right, yeah, yeah. He is a big hockey fan. That that also shocks me as well. And he's from the Philly area. So, like, for some reason when I saw him with that Blackhawks jersey on, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. He's from Chicago. But then I realized he's he's not from Chicago. He's from Philadelphia. What? Why is he not wearing a Flyers thing? Not that, not that since you're from Philly, you should be a Flyers fan, but you, you get where I'm going with that. But yeah, he wants a Rangers jersey. I mean, Rangers jerseys are nice looking, I guess. I mean, I hate them, but they're they're nice looking. So, hey, anyone who likes hockey, that, that that's fine with me. Yeah, it's just more fun facts about Dale Reynolds, who's also a big Clayton Kershaw fan from the Dodgers. It's just like <laughs> these random things. It's like, oh, okay, cool, Daryl. You want to be a filmmaker too? That's awesome. <laughs> he's, got, he's got a lot of things going for him. He's a funny guy. Yeah, Daryl is definitely a jokester. Him, him and Hart were having a fun time on top of the podium, right behind Val Ackerman's back. That was that was kind of funny. Their little exchanges. That was great. The looks they gave each other. Mm-hmm. Another thing that was a big storyline this weekend was Josh Hart. You know, we know he dominated. He was named tournament MVP, but then he also dominated the headlines for another reason, and that's something. To me, personally, I find very, you know, you look at it with awe and respect, much respect and much love. Josh Hart, after the Seton Hall game, consoling a crying Angel Delgado on the floor, refuses to get up after just losing to the Wildcats. Delgado botched that layup that would have tied the game, brought it to overtime. After the game, Josh Hart wasn't really celebrating too much. You know, once the final buzzer went off, he went straight to Delgado and talked to him and consoled him in a moment of sportsmanship that was everywhere. It was everywhere. And I don't know about you, Chris, you know, this is just something, I guess this just speaks to Josh Hart's character and who he is. But this Angel Delgado was on a team that just broke your heart almost exactly one year earlier in a close two-point game, just like just like what happened on Saturday. You, you suffer that through that. You use that as fuel. You win a national championship. But the fact that after he beat Delgado, you know, Villanova, the whole story was Villanova getting their revenge avenging last year's championship game loss. The first thing he does isn't celebrate, but help an opponent off the floor and help cheer him up. That is mad respect. Yeah, I was surprised as to how much national media attention this got. I didn't think this was going to explode into what it was going to be. I mean, I, I, I thought it was a nice gesture by Josh for sure. I mean, I, I mean I've discussed it many times on the show. I hate Angel Delgado. I, I don't like him. I, I mean, he's a great player, but I hate Seton Hall. And he's part, he's like the head of that and the face of all of the, that turnaround of that program. I hate it. But, but I think that adds to what Josh did because this is a rivalry. Let's be honest. This is a rivalry. They, Villanova wanted their revenge for this. Maybe not so much as they would if they didn't win the national championship, but they wanted their revenge against this team on the big stage with Madison Square Garden. And to see Delgado like that, I mean, like, all right, come on, get up. Like, you got the NCAAs ahead of you, like, whatever. I mean, I, I know it sucks you lost, but come on. But then to see Josh go over there and pick him up and, you know, cheer him up and, like, tell him, like, you're a hell of a player. Like, you shouldn't, like, get down about this. Like, go get him next. Like, go get him. In, in the tournament, that just shows what Josh and the rest of Villanova learned last year, that you shouldn't really get too worked up over one loss. You got, especially when you got games ahead of you, it's a whole different ball game. Who knows? We, we just sort of see in Hall stands from, in, the, in the bracket. They could make some noise. It's very possible they could. They're going to have a tough time if they win their first game and then play UNC, but they will have a tough time. But this shows that their priorities lay more than just the Big East tournament. It should mean more. It, you should learn from losses. You shouldn't dwell on it. And I think that's what he was trying to get at. Obviously, you know, the sportsmanship thing too, that was pretty cool. Just dap him up and then have every, and then everyone else followed him. That was something that shows that Josh Hart is a true leader and that everyone respects what he does because mimicking him is the sincerest form of flattery. Yeah, I was also surprised that it got so much media attention. It was a very nice gesture for sure, one that was genuine. But I was surprised with all the coverage it got. I think you said it best. It really does show how he is a true leader. He is a true leader. He embodies the Villanova way, embodies all the values that we have on that campus. 
on that university, takes it with him on the basketball court. He's a true Villanova representative on the court and off the court. That is true. And I, I think he even further exemplified it when he won the player of the year, but not player of the year, player of the tournament. He said, what did he say? What was the exact quote? It was something like, like, I'm happy I won this, but this doesn't really matter to me. It's all about my brothers and winning as a whole, something to that extent. Yeah, he was asked about, you know, Josh, I understand. A reporter asked him, Josh, I know you have, you've had this great career. You've done all these things. Which one of these accomplishments means the most to you? And, you know, have you taken the time to reflect on your career? And he, he just said he hasn't thought about that at all. Like, he, you know, he's only thought about the task ahead, and he's thought about his teammates and that couldn't be where he was without his team. I think that, like, that, that's part coach speak coming out of him, but at the same time, it's like, I feel like he actually believes it too, to like, to like a T. Like I, I, he, and he obviously acts like it too. The other interesting thing too was someone led off a question by saying, "Oh, obviously you've accomplished a lot." And Josh Hart was literally shaking his head no, mouthing the word no to himself repeatedly. Like he's just not happy. Like he's not. Like I'm sure he's satisfied, and like I'm sure he's happy that he's won. But the man just has other things on his mind right now. Yeah, and hopefully that will be uh, bringing another national championship home. <laughs> Speaking of which, we just had Selection Sunday a couple days ago. Now we know what Villanova's potential path could look like if they want a title repeat. I mean, I'm sure the narrative is now shifting from, can you get past the first weekend, to can you, can you repeat as national champions? Or, or, or according to social media, it still hasn't moved past the uh, round of 32 jokes. Oh, well, there's that. And also, I feel like, honestly, that... A lot of people outside the Villanova community and the Villanova bubble, I feel like a lot of people forgotten Villanova's won the national championship. I know. They talk about the best finishes in sports history or like the top sporting moments of this past year. I have yet to see the shot in any of the top five lists that they've produced regarding some of the best championship finishes over the last 365 days. It's it's unreal. They don't they don't acknowledge anything that we do. It's so stupid. The instant will we lose in the round thirty two though? They're all over it. Don't worry. God forbid we hit the greatest shot in NCAA tournament history. It's like yeah, no, sorry, we we don't we didn't pay attention this year. But don't worry, they'll put they'll put Leicester City top five. Congratulations to them. <laughs> but no, Villanova college basketball, the only sport ESPN talks about. This time of year, basketball, they, they don't even acknowledge. Oh, and also, let's be honest. If the situation was reversed and UNC hit that title shot. Oh, stop. It would be down our throats every day. Yeah, it could be baseball season and you would still hear about it. The oh. dog days of summer where there are no other sports going on besides baseball, you would you would be reminded of it every week. Yeah, the, every, they'll show a baseball highlight. Then subliminally throw in the UNC shot, go back to the baseball highlight, some subliminal message about UNC. Then they'll talk about LeBron and then, yeah, the end show. Yeah, and then every time the Duke-UNC rivalry comes up, they're going to rehash it, how they won last year. But then, you know, when Villanova's brought up to talk selection Sunday, oh, well, you know, I don't know if I trust them. (laughs) It's such a joke. Speaking of which, you see Doug Gottlieb's running his mouth again. What would he say? What he say this time? All right, all right. So I I have avoided him for the entire year, the entire year, mainly because we won. It's like I don't have to hear his crap. I thought he would give it up. I thought the whole Nova's overrated shtick would be it would be over. I thought it was done. But as recently of March first, I I stumbled across his Twitter account, and on March first, he's tweeting. He he was asked, "Who's the most overrated team in college basketball?" His response, Villanova. Why? Because Phil Booth's hurt. He, his tweets, his line of tweets from that were like, oh, they got to get Phil Booth back from injury. He's acting like he like, I don't know, stubbed his thumb going up for a rebound or something. Like, no, no. He has like a serious knee injury. He might never play again. Like, why do you watch the games? No, you don't, he doesn't watch the games. So I, that's plain as day. So I, you know, I don't care. They saying us we're overrated. But it's like, Doug. Give it up. It, it, he, he sucks. Like, he doesn't watch anything. I'm convinced he doesn't watch anything. He doesn't know what's going on. I, I, I hate him. He is the Skip Bayless of college basketball. He just runs his mouth. God. I, I, just, I just hope we get to the Sweet 16 again or just 
just at least the 316, just to shut him up. It's unreal. Let's be honest. Doug Gottlieb has been a Villanova villain for a while. I know, but you think one like, the championship was shut him up. What championship, Chris? He probably watches ESPN. He oh, probably has friends with ESPN. They probably they, – they, they've repressed that from their memories. I know. But he works for CBS now. <laughs> they have to they, – they at least acknowledge it. <laughs> Come on. How do, you, how do you go through life just knowing whatever you say is just completely false like, and just not based in fact and just said just to rile up people? How do you, how do you have a conscience? <laughs> He gets paid millions of dollars to do this too. That's the most amazing part. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, Chris, I, I, I try to not focus on Mr. Gottlieb, but I couldn't help but notice what he tweeted out recently. I know where he's coming from, but you no, know, I guess, I guess before we address that treat, tweet, we might as well talk about the brackets as a whole. Oh, you know, let's look at it from a Villanova standpoint. We're in the East Region, top overall seed. What did you think about who the committee chose to put in the same region as the Wildcats? So we're just talking the East here right now before I, uh, before oh. I have a, I have a oh, 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 you have you have an overall. Oh, you know what? Yeah, we'll just talk about the East now, and then we'll get to the overall. Oh, okay, good. I'm, I'm glad, oh, yeah. Eugene. I'm yeah. glad. Indeed. Okay. okay. All right. For, for number one overall seed. Wonderful. That's great. Am, I'm happy to be the number one team in the country right now. That, that's awesome. That's an awesome thing. And you know what that means? That usually means you get the worst two seed, right? Right? Am I right? Yeah, no. No, they throw Duke in our region for whatever freaking reason. I have no idea. All right. Duke is – I don't think Duke is that good of a team. I don't think they're two seed good. I think they were pro- they were more of a three seed, and they got hot in a, to- in a conference tournament, and they beat some good teams along the way. I'll give it to them, but they're not a two seed. So I didn't understand that. Baylor has our three, fine. So I guess you can make the argument that Baylor and Duke should be flipped. Whatever, I don't care. That that half of the bracket, we'll deal with that if we get to the Elite Eight. But that, <laughs> in predictable fashion, I said that, off air, that Duke would be our two. I said UCLA would be our three. Luckily, it was Baylor. And then our four or five would be Florida, UVA. Whoever's the four or five doesn't matter. And, of course, who do we get? Florida and UVA. So now I'm terrified if we get to the Sweet 16, we'll see UVA again because we beat them in a close matchup at home, and I feel like they'll have that game circled. And Florida, I'd rather face Florida, to be honest with you. I, I, Florida scares me a little bit. I haven't really seen much of them play, but just from the games that I have seen them play, they're not overly dominant. I feel like we can take care of business if we do go up against them. But then, <laughs> maybe we even get help from the 12 and the 13 seed along the way. But then, the 8-9 matchup. The ninth seed in Virginia Tech, your typical ninth seed, your mid-major, and not mid-major, your power conference, middle-of-the-pack team that can beat some top dogs but also lose to a team from the MEAC or the SWAC at the same time. That's okay. That I get. That's fine. But then you throw Wisconsin as our eight. Are you kidding? That team shouldn't have even been lower than a six, and there are Eight because they lost to Michigan in the in the conference tournament. They were in the Big Ten conference tournament championship, and they're an eight seed. Meanwhile, Minnesota is on the other side of the bracket, having a field day at five for whatever freaking reason. They just got whacked by Michigan the day before Wisconsin lost to Michigan. Not to mention, Wisconsin was a two seed in their own tournament, and they're an eight. Michigan State shouldn't have been in the tournament. They're a nine. I understand the Big Ten is. I wasn't that good this year, and I don't think it's a really good basketball conference to begin with, but an eight seed for Wisconsin? This team upset Xavier last year as a seven when they really shouldn't were a seven at the time. They have the experience. They were in the Sweet 16 last year, Sweet 16 last year, and they should have been in the Elite Eight with if they got a break here and there against Notre Dame. This is not good. I am terrified of Wisconsin. Terrified. Yes, Virginia Tech could do us a favor and knock them off. It's very possible because Wisconsin has had some bad losses. Why us? Why do we get the hardest eight seed? I don't get it. I guess you can also look at it as like, oh, well, look at Kansas. They got they got Miami, Michigan State. Like, all right, that that's pretty bad. I'll give them that. But Wisconsin, this team should have been a five, a four, five seed, and they're an eight, and it has to be against us. 
why. So are you telling me that you are not afraid of New Orleans or Mount St. Mary's? Oh, right. Yeah, I forgot. Uh, yeah, no. Mount St. Mary's is, I, I honestly, I don't even know that they win their conference tournament every year. I think they just put them in and they're like, yeah, you, you want the NCAA playing game? Sure. Here, here you go. Here's a trip to Dayton. Here's your tickets. Have fun. I, I, I don't even know. Have they ever, have they even won? I don't even know if they win those games. To be honest with you, and isn't like New Orleans like brand new to D one or something? I, yeah, I, I was know. about to say I've never heard of this school before. Yeah, like University of D, uh, University D one, University of New Orleans. Like I have never heard of them before. I mean, at we least should, from a basketball standpoint. Yeah, true, true. I mean, we should take care of them like relatively easily. Whoever wins that, but Wisconsin, why? And Wisco- yes. Wisconsin's vastly underseeded. This is a team, like you said. I mean, you went through the Big Ten, how they did in relation to the rest of the Big Ten. They're upset. They're very angry right now. Oh, I know. And, you know, they have a good reason to be because they feel disrespected. I mean, I feel like the committee right now is making Villanova make sure they prove themselves that they want to repeat as champions. I mean, this this region, I, you know, I know we, we can look later on down the line, but this Wisconsin game is a little threatening to me because they have done the upset wins before. They Like you said, they did it against Xavier. Bronson Canning hit that big-time three to send them on top. They've made the Sweet 16 in each of the last three years, five out of the last six years. When a team just has that March madness pedigree, it doesn't matter where they're seated. They just find a way to make it to the second weekend. You can't just discount that just because of their records or what they did in the season or what their seed may be. That's that's something that you don't just brush to the side. Right, and... This team, you said, this team has the pedigree. They, they've been there before. They know what it's like. This isn't just like some wide-eyed, bushy-tailed team that's just happy to be in there. They upset ACC team, and then they play the number one overall seed. Like, no, this this team, like, wants, like, to, for lack of a better term here, F shit up. <laughs> they want they want to leave scorched earth. They want to prove to the committee that they were wrong about them. They're going to they're gonna come out guns blazing. Now, comes next Saturday, we could very – well, be saying, oh, well, you know, that's it. They, they lost to Virginia Tech. No big deal. But I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see that happening, to be honest with you. I don't. They have, like you said, Bronson Koenig and Ethan Hepp. He's a player of the year candidate. He's a winner of the year candidate. Come on. How are they an eight? Yeah. Ethan Hepp, Nigel Hayes, Bronson Koenig. Nigel Hayes is still on the team? Yes, he is a, he is a senior. That, that's it, unreal. <laughs> it does feel like he's been here forever. Yeah, he's been there a while. So let's say Villanova gets to the second weekend and beyond. Oh, okay, let's. I mean, that Virginia game is very terrifying to me. We barely beat them. That was yeah. very even. Mat- I mean, we were trailing for most of the game, but that was one of those games that we could have lost. Got a couple breaks, buckled down at the right time, and that Dante DiVincenzo tip in was one of the most timely things in the world. But right now, the rest of the field, I feel like the committee gave Villanova a really tough company. Like you said, according to the S curve. Duke is supposed to be the worst two seed. NCAA released its overall seeding list, and they're actually ranked number seven. So who is the worst then? Louisville? The worst two seed is Louisville. So why, 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 why? Why are they with us then? Why did we not get Louisville? It's like we've joked around before, Chris. There's the S-curve, and then there's the adjusted S-curve for (sighs) storylines. I know. Come on. Speaking of adjusted S-curve for storylines, Duke Marquette, potential matchup in the round of 32. Wojo versus Coach K. And if I'm a media guy? which I am, I'd be all over that. I'd be all over that storyline. So, yeah, I'm sure the NCAA will make sure Marquette takes care of business against South Carolina. Then looking up the bracket a little bit, Baylor and SMU, potential round of 32 matchup. That's a Texas matchup. Providence-USC in the round of six, uh, in the play-in game, actually. That's a rematch of the round of 64 last year, as you told me. Kentucky and, what was that, Southern Kentucky? Northern Kentucky. Northern Kentucky. Kentucky, Kentucky, right there. Kentucky, Kentucky. There's, there's a few other ones here and there. I mean, I'm just looking at ours in the East. I mean, Florida and Virginia, there's no history there, right? I don't uh, think so, no. but who knows? I'm yeah. sure someone will find a link. <laughs> but uh, but for Villanova, there is a link. If we run into either of them, I mean, Virginia's a team that we've, we've had the home-and-home home series with recently. Right. Both games were excellent. But then Florida, that's a team that Villanova's ran into in the past, and that was when Florida was on their back-to-back run to the championship. Yeah, Florida beat them in 06 in the Elite Eight, and Villanova actually met up with them in the 4-5 matchup in 05, and Villanova was able to beat them before losing the UNC. Another storyline, potentially. Round of 32, Villanova, Virginia Tech, former Big East foes, I guess, that you're digging real deep for that. Yeah, this, oh, 
gosh. I hate how they do the storyline things here. Also, my favorite one so far is the one you brought up to me. Marilyn Xavier, Des Wells. Yeah, the whole Des Wells controversy gets expelled from Xavier, transfers into Maryland in light of a sexual assault case. Both teams, both programs are pretty connected through him. They are. Then you got... Wichita State, Kentucky, around the 32, potentially. Then you have Florida Gulf Coast and Florida State. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Ooh, good call. See, it's it's been a thing. You know, Rick Pitino, that was a couple years ago, right, when he was supposed to play against his son? Yes. In the tournament, and then he just ripped the committee (laughs) publicly for gerrymandering the lines just to favor, you know, potential storylines or, you know, to increase ratings. And since then, man, the committee has been – you know, they've been a little suspect when it comes to some things. Yeah, they, they just kind of don't care, honestly. They don't care. They just want the storylines and the better matchups for what, for what it's worth. They could care less about their S-curve. Like we we joke all the time, the adjusted S-curve, it's it's a thing of beauty. Yeah, and Villanova felt that last year when oh. they mysteriously dropped from the top second seed to the worst second seed. <laughs> yep, that made no sense. And we kind of got the treatment with Duke here. <laughs> Duke, yeah. Duke's kind of like us last year in that respect. But hey, I want to see Duke in the, the lead eight. I don't know about you, but I want to see them. Of course you want to see Duke. You want to beat the best. I want to I beat them. <laughs> I want to beat them. But of course, that we would have to get past uh, Wisconsin or Virginia Tech or Mount St. Mary's first. Change my question around from earlier about Josh Hart reaching 2,000. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to let that play out. But... Uh, <laughs> I'm going I'm to ask you this question. Does Villanova at least make the second weekend this time? Yeah, yeah, they do. We've seen how off I've been on my predictions before, especially with the Big East tournament, but I feel like they'll make it. Like I, I, I know we're complaining about Wisconsin, but I, I feel like they can take care of business with them if they do match up with them. I mean, Virginia Tech's tricky too, but I think they'll, you know, they shouldn't have an issue with that. But who knows? I, I bet you those games would be close, like 70-65 type games where like Villanova hits some free throws at the end to win it. But I can't see them losing. Yeah, I'm going to defer from answering that question like I always have. <laughs> well, no, actually, I take that back. 2014-2015, I had a clear answer. Last year, I chose to defer and plead the fifth, and it did well for me. Yeah, I, I, think that's, uh, I think that's best, honestly. But anyone knows if you catch me off air. I'm the kind of guy who will just be ready for the world to burn. <laughs> right. Like, yes. <laughs> expect the worst. That way, when the opposite happens, you're just pleasantly surprised. <laughs> Do you think they're going to beat Oklahoma in the final four? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> just, just breaking the hearts of little children. <laughs> <laughs> That's a shame. Come on. I'll tell you one thing to get hyped on. The Big East, our lovely conference that we've been repping since the 80s, they are sending seven out of ten teams to the Big Dance, which is a pretty good deal because, yeah, we might not have more than the ACC who's sending nine, but seven out of ten is actually the highest percentage of teams that a conference is sporting over to the NCAA tournament. So we can easily get hyped on that. Oh, for sure. I The 70% alone, that's the best. That should be better than sending nine or 10 teams, especially with like four of them squeaking in at the end, like the ACC did last year. And I think the Big Ten had seven as well this year, but like they're, they're all garbage teams toward the end. Like, actually, I shouldn't say that with Wisconsin coming up, but they, the 70% rule, that's pretty cool. And we were talking about this with Kim last week about potentially 70% of the conference going in. And she, she brought up a good point about how, how far this, this conference this has come in the past few years. This is something that, that they probably weren't even thinking about when realignment was happening. Just the ability to send seven quality teams to the tournament. And hopefully this year we can actually make some noise as a, as a conference as a whole, instead of banking it on Villanova to do something and or Xavier to do something in years past. It's really outstanding how this happened, especially when just in the last few weeks alone, you had a few teams that were on the fringe in the bubble, last four in, last four out, people who looked like they were just about to miss the cut. I mean, Xavier, whew, 
They're sweating bullets till the last one because they yeah. were the last announced L- team. Literally the last announced team. Chris Mack tweeted on, you know, next time leak the brackets. Please. <laughs> Please. You wanted that. I don't oh, blame him, though, because it literally looked like we were talking about it off air. It was going to be Syracuse or Xavier. Not that Syracuse deserved to be in. Right. But you just that know. they were going to get in because of their name, just like yes. they did last year. Name and committee shenanigans for whatever potential storyline there could have been down the road. But yeah, that, I'm happy Xavier got in because they, they deserved it. That win against Butler in the Big East tournament, I think, really propelled them in there. But they weren't even like one of the last four in. They, they got a bye. So I feel like with that, I feel like they were kind of in already with that. And Syracuse was the fourth team out they weren't even the last team out california was which was a very odd thing but yeah not trying to stray too far away from the big east here but you look across the board a lot of the big east teams have some favorable matchups i think seton hall could probably beat arkansas creighton has a tough one against uri because i feel like uri was just kind of dealt with some injuries and i feel like they're really playing some good basketball now Xavier against Maryland, that's a nice 6-11 upset, potentially. You have Butler as a 4. They can make the Sweet 16 with, if they keep playing like they were before the Seton Hall game a few weeks ago. And Providence is playing USC in the play-in game, and I, I think they should probably take care of that with relative ease. So it, it's possible. And then you got us. Yeah, just going down the seeding list here, you have Villanova, obviously, as a number 1. Butler is a number 4 seed. Crane's a number 6 seed. Seton Hall's a 9, Marquette's a 10, and then you have Providence and Xavier both at 11. Yeah, I forgot about Marquette. That's my bad. I usually don't forget about them. I mean, they're playing South Carolina, and they can beat South Carolina. I don't think South Carolina is overly powerful. I don't think they're that good. They're not that good. And then hope maybe they can do us a favor and uh, knock off Duke. (laughs) (laughs) That would be – if that happened, if Duke lost to a middle-of-the-pack Big East team – Oh. Just some, just I, I, like, like I'm trying to put the words, like what the reaction would be like, but I can't. <laughs> no, it, it, it's it's unfathomable. There would be so many excuses too, and they probably blame the refs somehow. And, and by them, I mean ESPN. Everyone's predicting a Duke UNC title game already. It's kind of disgusting, but what whatever. See what I care. But the interesting storyline with that is Wojo against. Coach K, and obviously Coach K coached Wojo for his four years at Duke, and then Wojo served under Coach K as an assistant for many, many years. So that that's a nice little storyline that the committee obviously put together for that, and it had nothing to do based on region or anything. Yeah, because, I mean, we've seen the overall seating list, and some of it, you know, it was a true S-curve, but then there were some parts that just didn't line up. No, never does. It never does, and it never will, but... When the tournament becomes a giant money grab, I guess you got to do those things to appease the networks and to get all the commercial revenue possible. So that's 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 sports now. Seth Davis said it. He said, I think they just put the top number two seed with the top overall seed, which makes no sense. No, it makes no sense in the fact that the committee would do that. It also makes no sense because Duke isn't the top two seed. I don't understand how Duke is a two seed. I didn't think they were a two seed. I mean, I didn't think they were much of anything going into the ACC tournament, and then they proved me wrong with that. But, I, I, all right, congratulations. You won four games in four days. I, I don't understand why you should be bumped up like two seed lines for that. It's ridiculous. I didn't, Everyone was viewing them as a, what, a five or a four seed. They just lost to Syracuse on the road and they had a terrible loss to NC State at home earlier in the year but then I guess it's it's just a matter of timing it's just like college football like you can lose a game in the beginning of the year but if you win out you're more likely to get a national championship playoff than if you win your first 11 games and then lose your last one it's just the way it's just recency bias with that but with that being said I want Duke I want Duke in the Elite Eight because I want to go to that game in MSG and I want it to be a fun game but on top of that I want to find I, I want to show everyone that Villanova it's a good team no one gets that what if we get Barquette Chris would you be excited for that I mean I would be excited for that yeah but but actually I'd probably be more excited because because that's two big east teams there and then hopefully Creighton wait Creighton no Creighton's in a different region than Butler I'm trying to think maybe maybe a Butler Seton Hall Sweet 16 matchup that'd be interesting (laughs) you know you know one thing that that was interesting to me and we saw it at Selection Sunday, was the genuine interest that the team has in seeing other Big East teams get into the big dance. Like, everyone was keeping a watchful eye 
Like even when they were addressing the crowd over at Connolly Center, they had one eye on the screens. And when they found out another Big East team was in the field, they they flashed a nice smile. So it's it's pretty cool to see how they kind of root for each other. Yeah, that just shows that everyone has like respect for each other in this conference. And I I was rooting for Xavier to get in. Like I was watching Slash Sunday with my brother and my dad, and we were like freaking out because we thought Xavier deserved to be in, and we don't really like Syracuse that much. So it was it was kind of fun like that. But we were rooting hard for that. Um, we were very intrigued to see where Butler was going to end up because we didn't know if they were they could have been a three, they could have been a six. Who the heck knew? I think that just speaks to everyone now, just as a fan of the Big East, because I feel like the whole underdog mentality with this conference has kind of bonded everyone together except when we play each other i'm sure everyone right well right well yeah that's true but still this also was just announced adding to the list of accomplishments and things that villanova's done this past season josh hart biggest player of the year biggest tournament mvp in the conversation for national player of the year and I think he solidified his spot as a pick or as a contender when the United States Basketball Writers Association, which I'm a proud member of, they announced their All-American teams yesterday. And lo and behold, first team, none other than Josh Hart. First All-American in a while, right? It's got to be since Scotty. Yeah, that, from what I can remember. Yeah, it's the, yeah, Scotty was the last one. He was joined by UCLA's Alonzo Ball, Gonzaga's Nigel Williams-Goss, Purdue's Caleb Swanigan, who we got to see the second game of the season, mm-hmm. and Frank Mason over at Kansas. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a big boy team. And honestly, I have no problem with any of those guys. And that, that's probably the best team you could probably assemble at this moment. I voted for Dylan Painter. Oh, well, that's a shame. I, it seems like you're not going to be a member of the uh, USBWA for very long then. I just, I just put Villanova's entire lineup there. All all, all seven guys in the rotation. <laughs> well, then and then Lonzo Ball and Caleb Swanigan. Right. Okay. I'm I'm sure that sits that'll sit over well with whoever <laughs> reviewed those votes. <laughs> They're probably well, after I, you right now with a cease and desist. When I when I signed it at the end, there was like, What is your media affiliation? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that didn't look too good. Should've okay, put, I didn't. I didn't actually fill out my ballot that way. You should have put the Villanova Times. They don't exist. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> they would have had no idea. But no, no, I didn't. I filled it out very seriously. Okay, that's good. That's good. I you was need, glad to see seven out of ten picks get on there. And even like, if you look at the second team, you can't even like. You can make maybe an argument for one or two players I'm trying to pinpoint one, but nah, nah, you really can't. I honestly, I, I have no qualms with the, those five at all. And it's obviously cool to see the Villanova player on there. I mean, it, yeah. was, it was rightfully deserved. It's not, it wasn't like a shock or anything. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, it has been. It, it's, it's weird to think that Scotty Reynolds was the last one because we've, we've had a lot of good players come in and out. Yeah, Malik Wayne, Stomach Cheek. Uh, yeah, right. Not feeling it. No, they're terrible. Before we wrap this up, we got to pay homage to – another team that will be engaging in the postseason, and that's the women's basketball team. You know, we said that we were going to keep a close eye on them. Yesterday was Selection Monday. They do theirs a day after the boys, and they didn't make the NCAA tournament, which was kind of expected. You had DePaul come in as a seven seed. Big East tournament champion Marquette came in as a five seed, and Creighton is a seven seed. But they did make the WNIT for... Another year, which is pretty good, actually, considering where they were at the beginning of the season, how they quickly turned around, became a solid Big East team, played very well in conference play. They couldn't knock off some of the top teams, but hey, you know, you get an automatic bid to the WNIT, along with a couple other Big East teams, St. John's, Georgetown, and before you know it, who knows what you'll do there. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting road for them. Just because just you, you know what happens when they, they face like upper echelon talents. They, they've kind of struggled this year. But if they face anything that resembled a moderate Big East team, they like go all out and have a good chance of beating them. So maybe if they're able to face some of those teams along the road, I think they can make some noise. But oh, I don't know. I'm just kind of happy to see them there. We talked about it last time. Post, it's all about the post-season experience. Get, 
get it on their own, get get past this first game, throw out all the cliches about all that stuff. But I, I feel like it, it it's applicable here. And yeah, they, they are in the automatic spot, which uh, we were going over before. If you're the top team in your conference that did not make the NCAA tournament, you will get an automatic bid. So Villanova earned the automatic bid for the Beast, and that, that's something that I bet you Henry Peretta and the rest of his squad was not looking at the beginning of the year. Yeah, the beginning of the year, they didn't even know what they were going to be looking at. I asked Harry Peretta, I was like, how, how good do you think this team will be? And he's like, oh, we'll see. Still trying to figure out the moving parts. They had, they had a lot to work with. They had a lot to improve on, and they did. They had a lot of newcomers. A very deep team, though, which was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Very young core. And whenever you have that, the postseason experience is definitely valuable. Right. And you can't get enough of that. Exactly. And who knows? Maybe next year they'll, they'll be as part of the big dance. Yeah, you'd hope so. I mean, but you see, like, DePaul as, like, a seven, and they beat the crap out of Villanova both times they played them. I mean, that's, that's kind of scary. That makes you – that just – I don't know. It makes you appreciate like UConn even more, I guess, to that regard. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, you know, the levels. Yeah, <laughs> the different levels. The different levels and everything. I mean, Marquette was a five and Creighton a seven, but still, it's like oh well, oh boy. Yeah, I think when Villanova made the NCAA tournament our freshman year in 2013, I believe they were an eight seed. Oh yeah, I no, I think you're right because I I think yeah because the men and the women had the same seed. I remember that being a storyline going in. Yeah, and it's like weird to think that. You know, they, they were good even the years after that, but they haven't been able to make it back. But they've been playing the NIT, and they've been getting some pretty good runs. We're certainly going to keep an eye out for them and the men's team as well as we go into Thursday, which, whew, I don't know about you, Chris. Oh, boy. I need to look into these brackets a little more. I've been procrastinating some of them. Yeah. And I need to, I need to do some reading on some New Orleans and some Mount St. Mary's. Mount St. Mary's. <laughs> Yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta get some uh, catching up to do. I haven't filled out my bracket yet. I don't know about you. I'm gonna let the dust settle a little bit on the first four because I, I just need to change it up this year. Need to change it up a little bit as to how I go about it. Uh, I got to do a little bit better this year, so I'll let that go on with that. Yeah, and since of, it's a nice snow day today, we'll, we'll have plenty of time to do it. Yeah, it's a Bombo Genesis. Bombo Genesis, exactly. So, th- did you fill out a bracket yet? I, I don't know. I, uh, this year, I'm I'm actually just like you. I'm going to be waiting until the first four games are played because in years past, I've done it before the first four was played, and then I'll be locked in on a certain first four team, mm-hmm. but that team might lose, and then I yeah. just wouldn't go back to change it. <laughs> I would just forget that I was like, oh, my bracket set, so like whatever. Right. So I, I'd miss out on a pick right there. Yeah, yeah, and 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 history shows the first four they it does some damage. They do some damage. I mean, the first every year of the first four, VCU made it to the final four. And I think every year since, I think one team has won a game. There might have been a year somewhere in between the first and last year that they they didn't win, but I'm pretty sure they won a game each time. Yeah, it's certainly tricky. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why no one's ever had a perfect bracket. Right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening. And subscribing to the State of the Nova Nation podcast. Please check us out at viewbenchmob.com for your news and updates on all things Villanova sports. Follow us on the Twitter sphere at viewbenchmob, or you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at eRepay5. And you can follow me, Christian Ziao, at the Stance Man on Twitter. Nova Nation, stay warm, enjoy the snow day, fill out some brackets, and before you know it, Thursday will be here.